0: to get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss. Welcome to the Capital Club podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm and the Capital Club community, Visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Capital Club podcast. Today I'm here with Jeff Stresa. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be with you. Jeff is an organizational development consultant and executive coach focusing on multi generational family enterprises, corporations, and mission driven nonprofit organizations. He has more than 25 years of experience working across industries in the areas of leadership development, organizational effectiveness, and family dynamics. And Jeff, if you don't mind, I want to highlight especially leadership development. I know you've been focused on that in particular, but if you could give us a bit of your background and talk more about kind of the focus that you have today.
2: Sure. So my background began as a clinical therapist. I was really focused on family systems and family dynamics. And early in my career, I moved into business and industry. And so I brought that platform skill of family systems and coaching into organizational development, primarily tethered to a university here in Dallas, Southern Methodist University, SMU where I was the chief HR officer, and and I'm still an an adjunct faculty member in the business school teaching courses on leadership. I did a stint in the multifamily office space as a chief learning officer, and my role was focused about half the time developing the advisor role by developing the client-facing professionals, and the other half the time I worked alongside the advisors developing family learning strategies,
1: working on succession and beneficiary prep. Yeah, such an interesting background and so germane to the conversations I'm hearing behind the scenes these days with most of the families I interact with. I was at a conference two weeks ago now up in Louisville and every family I talked to, whether or not they were purely a financial family, they still had an operating company, are all wrestling with this leadership development concept because this maturing generational demographic shift between baby boomers and either Gen Z or millennial is happening in real time right now. And everyone's very focused on making sure that that next generation has those skills. So we'd love to hear your thoughts about kind of what you're hearing from your clientele right now. What's some of the focus on your research and development has been? Sure. Well, I would say
2: based on your comment about the generational wealth transfer and all of the unique dynamics and complexity around that, I would say that the advisors, the family office professionals, the practitioners, anyone that's really in the family system at all, working trust and estate attorneys, that I have found that there is a skill gap. And the skill gap, I would probably point towards the mid to more senior level professionals that sort of ascend in their their career with technical and financial skills, and they really had expertise in that vertical. And as we've seen, particularly coming through and out of a pandemic, there is a, a heightened sense of need for these qualitative skills. Skills around navigating different style differences, value sets, emotional intelligence, the most requested topic that I have worked on, presented at keynotes, done training on over the last probably three to five years. And and that's not just a hot popular topic. There's a very specific set of competencies involved in that. Just being able to really self-regulate, being able to understand the emotions of others and being able to bring that into your work and the preparation and how you facilitate meetings, how you give advice, how you work with family businesses and family systems. So a lot of the work I'm involved in right now are focused on these qualitative skills for
1: for professionals. And that makes a lot of sense. We talk on the show, almost ad nauseum, but I think it's always important to reemphasize that Oftentimes, it is the qualitative issues, the internal family dynamics that ends up blowing a family up much more so than it is the quantitative, analytical investment side of the house. And I think more so now than ever, given the pace and amount of change, but also the longevity of what some of these generational leaders are are experiencing in terms of these folks have been maybe at the helm for 30, 40 years I have seen that gap in what would be the middle management or, or middle market leadership wise. So can you talk through kind of what you do practically to help folks get those EQ soft qualitative leadership skills to get them to the next level?
2: Yeah, I think practically it's really making it part of your learning professional development journey. And, you know, there are, there are programs, there are, there are webinars, there are plenty of things emerging that are quite good that, that, you know, that you can get and you can expand your skill set on. I think the challenge sometimes is that again, coming from more of a financial technical bra- background, sometimes those qualitative topics are their back burner. They're seen as soft. They're de-emphasized. And so some of the conferences or professional development opportunities people go through, it's, it's so much focused on the market or portfolio strategies like that, which are very, really important. And these qualitative skills are now getting a foothold. And so I, I would just say, make that part of your learning journey. If you're interested in the topic, lean into it. And that's part of, as an executive coach, that's what I encourage people to do. One specific article I'm going to reference here, Brian, that was recently published. The authors are Jim Grubbin, Dennis Jaffe, and Kristen Keffler. The Wealth 3.0 is a tremendous platform of understanding where the industry is going and moving more into a more positive psychology, strengths based approach to advising, which requires, doesn't mean advisors have to become psychologists. It means that they need to see that these skills make them a more complete advisor, especially with what's in front of them, especially with the diversification of generations and how they're viewing wealth, how they're viewing social issues. I just think that there's going to be a lot of movement in the next 10 years, people choosing
1: different advisors that if they don't have these kinds of skills. I agree wholeheartedly. And, and I think the work that the authors that you just referenced, Dennis and Jim, are they're putting out incredible content. I've tried to pitch them to come on the show, but they're very busy people. They are very um, busy. we are talking about <laughs>
2: this. Yeah. And yeah. you know,
1: you can put the article in the show notes. It's easy to go out and
2: find, but it's it's a really important read. And and some of my work and my training is adapted from their research around this idea of a more positive
1: approach to advising. You mentioned being the chief learning officer of a multifamily office. I'm aware of the of the firm. It's a great shop, very well regarded. Even the idea that they had a chief learning officer shows how far the industry has come since I've been in Vage, which is probably the last 15 years. You've been in this longer than I have. Talk to me about the dynamic of, you you mentioned this as I marked it down, advisors not being psychologists, but there is this movement that I think on the client side, at least, they are treating their advisors like therapists oftentimes. And and at what point... (laughs) At what point do clients need to understand that, <laughs> that they're not certified therapists like you are, that they have a role, but they have to be expansive enough to have that conversation and maybe direct them to the right point of contact or resource? That's a great question. Sometimes
2: the advisor is, in, to some people and in some, particularly with, I would say, older generations, baby boomers, Gen Xers, probably sometimes the advisor is the most entrusted person in their life or the attorney or the CFO within their business, operating business, are the most trusted people. Sometimes those professionals evolve into kind of their family office, you know, gatekeeper of all things. What I would say is just as that professional needs to have the skills to know when to make referrals to a legal referral, or if it's something that is, you know, it's a tax issue, you know, all of those financial and technical kinds of expertise, they know when and how they should Refer. That's what it, that's what a fiduciary does. I would say that that is just an incomplete view, not a, not a wrong view. It's just incomplete in, in what we're describing, Brian, as an increasingly complex set of responsibilities for an advisor. So I would think the advisor of the future has the skills to know when and how to refer on this continuing of Of communication and family dynamics and mental, mental health. It's just another tool in their toolkit so that they can say, Oh, you know, I know somebody who I really trust who has these skills. He or she can determine whether you need executive coaching, whether you need family therapy, whether it's an addiction issue, whether because in the past, what I've seen, unfortunately, is sometimes advisors, they're, they're head down. They're focused on the portfolio. They're focused on. The business aspects or the investment financial aspects of that client work. And they're either missing or they're ignoring some of these other really important kinds of things happening within the family or family system. So it, it's not rocket science. To, it's not overly daunting to think about if somebody's tearing up in a meeting or a spouse or a partner is shut down or they're worried about their adult children that they can't begin to at least build some skills on how to inquire and understand those issues so they can make a responsible referral, in a sense, widen the circle with
1: another trusted professional in the mix. So I would imagine that amongst this population in particular, this cohort of alpha performing, quantitative oriented individuals that are high achieving, I would think that the work needs to start on them first before they can have the skill set or the tools or the language verbiage needed to have that deeper conversation with a third party, correct? That's, I mean, that's the $10,000 question.
2: you know. And when I've worked with organizations, whether it's a family office, a multifamily office, or larger institutions, financial institutions that are the kicking the tires on these topics and they're, they're interested, or you have, you have an enlightened one who says, I've been to a, you know, I've been to a webinar, I've been to a conference and I saw this speaker and they were dynamic and we need to talk about those kinds of things. That's where I've seen lots of fits and starts over the, over the last five years of, of organizations really thinking about, we've got to do this. You know, sometimes it, it sometimes a top down because of the culture there, you have to have top down buying with the partners or the managing directors. But I've also seen, Brian, sometimes younger generations bringing in the questions, the skills into and getting it into the culture and socializing these kinds of things. For example, one of the things that when I was with a multifamily office, we implemented a reverse mentoring program and we were large enough to have the firm probably was about 175 employees and it was fairly regionally located. So it wasn't spread all over the country, but we modeled it after BNY Pershing's reverse mentoring program. We worked directly with their team. I gained a really close personal friendship with Mark Taburgeon, who's the former CEO. He was the champion of that program and we modeled it and implemented it. And it was a way to really help the senior advisors, the senior professionals understand the emerging topics of a younger working force, a younger generation. And in a sense, it's it's sort of, I would say, mirrored with family enterprises. What's happening with millennials and Gen Zs, the same sorts of questions, concerns, ideas, and passions are often mirrored within the workforce as within the family or the family system, as you can imagine. And so we built this reverse and mirroring program to, in a sense, flip it around and train the more seasoned professionals to sit on their hands and listen and ask questions, and we train the younger professionals to be prepared, have a point of view, not just you know polarizing their anxiety of speed talking or shutting down and not being able to communicate at all. So it was it was a highly successful program and it's still running today.
1: And I, I know you're no longer with that organization, but. Do you think performance tracked in terms of do you think there was a correlation there? Absolutely. Between,
2: yeah. there, there's, there's absolute metrics and I'm still I have a great relationship with the firm and, and still do some consulting with the firm. They absolutely have metrics that show retention. They show people that went through the program were high potentials for promotion. And so, the, you know, those that, you know, so that was a talent management strategy. That was a part of my role to come up with these kinds of talent management strategies. But what I think it. But I think it addresses is I think it addresses that you don't have to take a traditional paradigm of you have an enlightened person who wants some training. They have to come back to the firm or the office and they have to have the authority to to say, we're going to commit these resources and these dates to do it. There are other ways to socialize these qualitative topics and to get people interested and excited about them. And so I think that that sometimes is, is the better
1: way. So you, you referenced this multifamily office group that you worked with and they have deep resources. It's a, it's a large organization. Not everybody has the ability to have an internal initiative like this, right? So if you're a, a family office or a private business owner or just an ultra high net worth individual, what are the resources? What, what, what is the, the right way, best practices in your opinion to start this conversation and, and to, how this leadership development process began within your, within your organization? Well, I think the most powerful way of, of creating
2: impact and influence is by actually going and, let's say you're a solo practitioner or you're in a small shop and, and you're interested in gaining some of these skills and, and becoming a stronger advisor practitioner in understanding family dynamics and, making responsible referrals, or even beginning to do a little bit of coaching yourself or facilitating yourself, coaching and facilitating skills that what the research shows, particularly from the Family Firm Institute, and was also corroborated by this article we're talking about, Advisor 3.0, those are those are now a necessary platform to have those skills, being able to facilitate a meeting, not just run it and, you know, head down in the details, but facilitate and you know, do some basic coaching on financial literacy and things like that. I, you know, I think you start small. You start with, you know, there's there's plenty of programs out there that you can look at. One of them that I'm particularly connected to and, and very proud of is the Family Office Exchange, which is a member-based organization for family office and also multifamily offices and advisors. We've developed an, a family advisor training program. And it is a based upon a lot of research and data from our member base about what they need and want in advisors and practitioners, all along, alongside with some of the rigor that I bring being connected to SMU and their executive education program. So we combine those two and we've developed a program that is, I think, is transformational. It builds upon the good skills and the knowledge of kind of a mid-career, later career professional, and it puts them into maybe a better, I would say, better quarterback kind of a quarterback school of being able to run run client engagements and being able to coach people that are on their team more effectively
1: so clearly there's more appetite this is a conversation happening at a higher frequency internally but are you still meeting at times resistance of doing this type of training with some of the older generations sure I mean, that comes with the territory. I mean, think about any
2: anybody that's really skilled in their profession. I mean, you gain enough credibility as a professional, but you also have the emotional intelligence to know how to connect with, disarm the skepticism of someone. We're able to understand what their concern, fears, hesitations, stereotypes are about, and you're able to kind of really connect with them and show them the value proposition of this kind of training, this kind of development then, you know, sometimes you just have to move the needle with somebody, especially if they're a gatekeeper and they really have some skepticism or they really, you know, you know, when things are good and and when margins are great, then they'll, oh yeah, let's do training. But, you know, when the market's down or when, you know, those are the organizations that I think are in the future are going to have a hard time keeping and growing talent because increasingly that's what the research is showing in the landscape is that You have to develop your people and you have to develop your people holistically. Otherwise, they're going to go find organizations that are going to do it.
0: Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Take the next step by joining the Capital Club, an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals organized by Excelsior Capital. You'll gain access to exclusive alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, private events, and more. Visit excelsiorgp.com slash Capital Club Podcast for more information and to sign up today.
1: So I want to talk about kind of wealth and wellness. The two terms are really being intertwined oftentimes in a lot of these organizations or these conversations happening behind doors. How do you assess whether or not, let's call it a family enterprise or a family office is healthy at the time being or if there's work to be done? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Brian. It's,
2: you know, I think people that do this kind of work like myself who bring psychology and emotional intelligence into the world of, of wealth or wealth management under have seen the dark side of wealth. They've seen when, when, when entitlement and indulgence and, or just a lack of education or lack of awareness derails somebody or, or splinters a family or, you know, you fill in the blank. And that's where I think. A lot of the colleagues that I have in, in, in my my profession are very, very passionate about trying to, e- first of all, equip younger generations to not sort of repeat that, but also equip generations that are still in positions of responsibility and authority to broaden their gaze a little bit and, and see that beneficiary prep is a holistic journey. It's not just about trust and estate. It's not just about uh, entity taxation. It's not just about those kinds of things. That's just an incomplete view. And that's why family meetings and family governance and and family consulting and family coaching, those aren't just cottage industries anymore. I think that's mainstream now, and it must be mainstream. So even if you're a small shop or you're a single family office practitioner, it's important to connect with organizations like the Family Office Exchange and Family Family Business Alliance and other nonprofits that are curating best practices best practice approaches to these kinds of wealth transfer challenges.
1: Well, and that's where I wanted to go next was, we're not going to get into granular detail because every family is different. You know the adage as well as I do. But if you are listening to this and you know this is a need, where do you start? Like what's step one to get this moving
2: internally? That's a great question. I, as an executive coach, I always say this. When someone asks the question, how do I get started or where do I... I think my most clear advice is to lean into the topic. You know, listen, if you were like interested in, oh my gosh, I love that sports car. Or I, you know, I love the sweater that guy was wearing or whatever it is. You're going to go pick up your phone. You're going to Google it and you're going to lean in. You're going to start researching, right? So if there's something in this podcast today that has stirred your interest, we've already mentioned a couple of articles. We've mentioned a couple of organizations. Go lean into it. Go research it. And go find an entry point that maybe in the near term, you can go, I'm going to attend that conference, or I'm going to download that podcast, or I'm going to, and it'll take you on a learning journey of exploration. Again, it's not overly complicated. It's also not difficult to find out what is credible out there. There's a lot of stuff out there in any discipline that you can imagine, right? But it's not going to be hard for you to find things that are credible, that either whether it's an author or a presenter, or it's a certification program, whatever it is that is going to sort of fit your career life stage. And, you know, whether it's this fall, you're looking at something or you're planning your kind of 2023 learning development path for, for yourself or others. Um, Now's the time to kind of dig in and, and dip your toe in some of this stuff. So that's a broad answer, but that's intentional because I really, that's, that's I'm putting on kind of my executive coach. chat Otherwise, I
1: don't want to be prescriptive to a broad listening audience, overly prescriptive. Yeah. And, and this is where I'll plug, you know, you mentioned Fox, our family are a member of IPI, Campton, organizations like YPO, Tiger 21. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of resources out there. And so that's where, to your point, these peer-to-peer networkings, the, these affinity networking organizations that allow you to tap into resources and just like anything else, do your market research, but then talk to people that You trust and that look like similar to you and what they've done. I think you'll find that it is there are a lot of resources out there, and you know you can lean on your peers and your network. And that's but but that goes to this point of best practices to have the network in place before, right? It's really hard to do it ad hoc quickly and then have to go execute. And so it's kind of like talking to a law firm. The litigator will say, "Well, you should have done this on the corporate side beforehand." Thanks. So, let's maybe you know, kind of zoom out a little bit. And w- when you see really healthy families with good inter- intergenerational relationship dynamics, etc., like what are the characteristics? What are the factors that you place? see consistently? Yeah, yeah, I, I like where you're going with this because again, you
2: you could study kind of a perfect model. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Of of, of Family enterprises where there are, there are things in place like that and, and others that are either trying to get started or they're trying to back into it. They're, they're solving a problem or there's a crisis or there's a fracture, right? The intervention kind of strategies are always harder and, and that requires more. Remember we talked about this continuum of sort of therapy and then adult learning and then just sort of, you know, continuing in credits, you know, that's probably going to lean a little bit more towards practitioners who have more psychological training, therapy, backgrounds if it's intervention. I would say for most family enterprises, whether it's 12 people or 100 people, you know, there are some really important proven best practices around family governance and family learning. And those are necessary. And you, on the ones that are thriving, the ones that I've worked in and seen and study, and, you know, sort of the 100-year families that have putting these infrastructures in over time, you know, everybody has been baptized in the understanding of family governance, family dynamics, family values. They're all, the attorneys, the advisors, the, you know, the people that do training and coaching, they're all seeing it from the same page, okay? And so there are lots of pr- professional, financial, technical, legal professionals out there that have really come to understand these qualitative skills and they're working in that space. And so, you know, I, I, one of the things I want to point out is Dennis Jackie's book, a from my grandchildren, his research of interviewing family systems and family enterprises that have been around for a hundred years or more, made it into the fifth generation, sixth generation beyond those are families to be studied. You know, they've had lots of mistakes and lessons learned, but what they've evolved into is something that is, is, is really, really sustainable. And that, that is to
1: be modeled. Yeah. And this is, you know, I would, if you're listening to this, and you're wondering kind of where to go resources. this is where your third party vendors and service providers you really right. need to do an audit on them because we work with PwC we're going through a leadership transition ourselves. They brought in a specialist, right this advisor consultant who comes in purely on a on a one-off basis and he interviewed everybody in the family, everybody on the household level, and he put together an assessment and a recommendation that's really powerful stuff, right and really useful so this is kind of, I think, in a good way, pushing the industry that you can't just provide commoditized product any longer. It needs to be more holistic and value add. That's right. And I think that,
2: again, that is just a really important professional thing to do is and it credentializes your your initiatives when you bring in. It's not an audit. It's kind of when you think about perspectives of intervention or audit or things like that, what a, what a good consultant or coach will do is is infuse objectivity into that business or that family governance system. And that is one of the challenges of working in a family system is entropy is people that work within that family system or business and it's family. And, you know, and so that's when things become very, very subjective over times. And that's when things can get really dicey. So that's, I think that's the interesting and sometimes the really fun part of working in family enterprise is that balance between family dynamics, which can be wonderful and can also
1: be, very very difficult. So we're recording this at the end of September of 2022. Massive market volatility across the board. A lot of geopolitical risk and instability. We talked about kind of leadership development, talent training, advisor development. What are some of the other inbounds that are you're getting on your end from your client from your network? What are keeping what's keeping people up at night? Where are you kind of focusing your efforts, given that we're entering into seemingly a phase where there's going to be a lot of change across the board? Fundamentally simple, well-being, balance, recalibration.
2: As we saw through and coming out of the pandemic, a huge uptick in people searching for purpose and meaning. And it demonstrated itself in lots of ways. We've all gone through change and adversity over the last couple of years. You've seen an uptick in mental health issues. The silver lining is there. It's becoming destigmatized. You're seeing huge workforce changes as a result. Lots of movement policies, work life balance. All of this, the totality of that, I believe are opportunities for all of us to reconsider purpose and meaning. And it's kind of fundamentally simple, really deceptively simple. A lot of my work is to help professions recalibrate and Remember those things. Now, again, it's not, even though I have a therapy background, it's, it's not moving into a therapeutic kind of engagement with, with clients and families. It's more about keeping those things front and center so that when we get into this other work, we're reminded of that. And so, because if emotionally you're getting hijacked every day because of the market or Uncle Joe, who's the, you know, chief operating officer tucked away with the title, but not working and that's, that's hijacking you, then you can't control those things. You can't, you can't. So we talk about, in my work that I do, we talk about fundamental practices of recalibration and emotional intelligence, and, and you build from there. Then you build into your professional role, your learning strategy, your talent strategy, whatever work, whatever your sort of career role is, whatever your work is, you kind of go from there. And I, I think that's what's most important right now, is starting with those
1: fundamentals. I don't want to date you, but you've been doing this a long time, various different roles, different organizations. Are you, given the conversations you have with younger generations, are you optimistic? Are you, you feel good about the direction that many of these families and, and enterprises and businesses are heading when it comes to the emotional intelligence and leadership development side? You know, I think my set point is optimism and not just because I
2: coach and teach and do those, those things. I think that's just my DNA. That's my set point. And you know, I think you could, it's, it depends on your filters. You know, you can just as, as you can in any kind of a, your handheld device or, or what you turn on the TV or what, you know, or if you're a parent with young children, you, you have filters for their devices, right? You can filter the world any way you want to. I see lots of positive trends. I see lots of dynamic tension occurring within family businesses and family enterprises that are healthy. Now, they may be hard at times and without the right sort of structure, governance structure and practitioners and facilitators and coaches in the mix, then, you know, it can go awry. But I'm very optimistic. I think that there are some extremely positive things in terms of access and equity and other things that are that are going to, in a very healthy way, change the next couple of generations course. In terms of how they view wealth. Now, you know, there's lots of people predicting what that might look like. That's not, that's not my expertise, but I think there are many healthy things that are occurring. Sometimes healthy things can be hard, but sometimes we, we need to go through hard things to come to the other side more empathic, more enlightened,
1: more inclusive. And so I'm optimistic. Yeah, I am too. I mean, my wife works at a private high school here in town and I have the opportunity to work with younger people and my father-in-law and some of these, my Biological parents, they're very pessimistic, especially given everything happening today. And yeah, I, I often push back on their worldview and I say, you should hang out with younger people more often because they're doing some really cool things. They've got good heads on their shoulders. They're working hard, but in a different way. And I don't know. I'm, I'm like you. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. I think we're in pretty good hands here. It's the older generation that I'm more concerned about, to be honest.
2: Maybe so, and and I think you said it, Brian, right. It's a really a worldview. And, you know, you kind of go back to the real basics of what I talked about just a moment ago about kind of where I start in my work helping people. You know, when I work with very, very successful executives who on paper look great, but they're, you know, they're stressed out or their family's a mess and, you know, these kinds of things, workaholism, you know, when I work with those kinds of people, we go to the basics like boot camp. It's mind, body, spirit. And if you don't have a balance in those dimensions, then y- y- you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to go into overdrive and you're going to, you know, it's got to be problems. So it is a worldview and a worldview is daunting. And it, it's, it's, if you're just open to all of that data coming in and you don't, you don't, you have not customized your filters in healthy, productive, balanced kinds of ways, then then yeah, I can understand how people could be pessimistic.
1: So it's a question that I often ask people on the show and I do it unprompted, but especially given your line of work, dealing with, like you said, people who are undergoing stress, maybe a very difficult period of time. Is there something that you do on a daily basis that helps bring you peace and balance to your life? Yeah, thank you. I try to start each, each day with mindfulness. I have a
2: faith perspective. I spend time with my my spouse. That's that's a really important part of our Our life, our family life. We have adult children. We're empty nesters now. You know, we're active in our community. We're active in our church. We're 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 active physically and and all those things. And those aren't just kind of you know you know quick little cute lifestyle things I'm mentioning. It's it's it sets my filters for what I'm involved in, what I listen to. And and it's not like I have a head in the sand. I can't watch the news real. It's that I, I have to, especially not just because of the work that I do, but also because of the way I'm wired. I'm just, I'm kind of a sensitive, right? I'm a sensitive person on the scale of personalities. And so I, I can tend to absorb the emotions of others and take on the the burdens of others. It's a little bit of an occupational hazard. So if I'm not calibrating and balancing daily, you know, then I'm, I, I'm headed to trouble and I've gone through cycles and seasons of my life and career where I've really, really struggled with those kinds of things. And so, you know, that's in order for me to be a good executive coach and educator on these topics, I have to model it. I'm 59 years old and, you know, I, you know, so it comes with advantages, I guess, in some ways of knowledge and experience, but also the body's aging. So I got to stay on top of it and and, and stay active. So those are the things that help me calibrate and give me the resilience to deal with my daily triggers
1: and adversity. It's great. Thank you for sharing. Jeff, this has been terrific. I want to thank you for the time. Before we went live, you you said that, yeah, this has been really very insightful. Before we went live, you said you've been busy with keynotes, doing advisory consulting. I think, you know, unfortunately, we're heading into a, a period of volatility where families are going to need your services more than ever. If people are interested in learning about the work you're doing, engaging with you, et cetera, what's the best way for them to get in touch?
2: Yeah, I would say that primarily if it's kind of more at the business enterprise level, then I would say probably through my relationship with family office exchange, because I'm, I'm a consultant and educator through, through that organization. And there are some great ways to engage with me through Fox. And when I do some, I do a little bit of coaching. As well, and and keynote. The rest of the time, I'm teaching at SMU, so I, I've got a little bit of time. And I'm, I think it's about fit. You know, if it's not the right fit, if I'm not the right sort of resource at the right time, then I, I have a a lot of resources that I could recommend, or colleagues, or professionals that would be a good fit.
1: Terrific. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing everything with us today, and we'll have to do a follow up episode because yeah, you know, I'd love to, this. Brian, love to come back. Awesome. Well, I thank you again for the time, and I look forward to staying in touch. All right, take care.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon.